Hello, my lovelies. You are now listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. The intention of this podcast is to empower women through sharing of real life stories. We have a fab lineup of inspiring, kick-ass, real, dedicated women. We're going to get down and dirty. What has made these women successful? What makes them tick? How do they handle conflict? And what might they eat in a day? So here we go. special guest and her name is Kathy Lee. Kathy, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here actually. (laughs) Well, we're honored to have you and Kathy is a renowned journalist uh, with CTV. Kathy Lee is a video journalist and weekend anchor with the news with CTV and joined the team in 2012. Uh, She's Calgary based. Uh, She received the Spirit of Nate Alumni Award for achieving excellence in her industry and has been nominated for five Radio Television Digital News Association awards for her work, including a documentary that takes an in-depth look into how the opioid crisis impacted Calgary. Kathy, welcome. Thank you for having me. That is, there's actually an update to my bio, just because many things have changed oh, okay. a little bit. Yeah. Well, then let's hop into I that. Know, what is the I update, know. girl? How about I pat myself on the back before we get started? <laughs> yes, here, please okay? do, please. So, eight nominations now for awards for the wow. radio for the RTDNA, and my latest one is what we're probably going to talk about a little yes. more in depth today is COVID nineteen, the spread of racism. So. It was nominated, and uh, we just found out yesterday that it won an award for enterprise journalism. So I'm very proud of the work that we, that my team, and not my team, the team at CTV Calgary has done. And you should be proud. Eight nominations. Wow. Yeah. How old are you? You look so I, young. You look like you're like in your 20s. I mean, uh, did you just I know, hop I, out I, of high school? That pretty much. Pretty <laughs> yeah. much. Actually, out of my mom's womb. And then I came yeah. and I just became a journalist and started working really hard. No, I'm just, I'm really passionate about long-form journalism. Mm-hmm. I do both. I am a breaking news reporter, spot news reporter. Spot news is pretty much what you see in a day. So when you turn on the television and you watch the news and you see the reporters out there, Everything that we've gathered in a day and what we're presenting at the end of it, that's spot news. Okay. What I've sort of delved into in the last few years is long-form journalism, so short documentaries. And I really love this format because you can really dive deep into a subject matter. And I think that's important because you could peel back the layers as opposed to giving, you know, the minute 30 or two minute Mm -hmm. daily stuff, right? So that's what I've gotten into and that's uh, you had mentioned the opioid crisis documentary I did I did that a couple years ago I did an investigation into child care in the private sector so unregulated and also regulated which is the licensed market and then of course the latest one was exploring the racism and discrimination that Asian people have felt during this pandemic so I, I do a lot Wow. <laughs> I also <too>. anchor <laughs> wow well, well okay let's backtrack a bit so Let's talk about the documentary that you've done during the pandemic. Sure. And and how was that near and dear to you? And how has that affected you? And what has that brought out? It's really interesting because we initially started out with doing a feature, a five-minute feature on Chinatown. Because we knew that Chinatown was hit the first economically during the pandemic. Because of the origins of the virus coming from Wuhan, China, 
a lot of misinformation started circulating. There was a lot of fear and Chinatown unfortunately was impacted negatively because people stayed away from Chinatown thinking that they're going to catch the virus from Chinatown when it actually made no sense because unless you were in China and you brought it over, you really couldn't. But this is this is how some people society. think, of yeah. course, of course. And I'm not going to sit here and say whether it's bad or it's good. It's just what it is. And we're just going to leave it at that. And so we initially thought, let's do a feature on Chinatown and talk about how they've been impacted economically. But we started getting reports, and we're talking piecemeal here and there, about the discrimination and the racism. And I don't think at the beginning we thought that it was a really big problem because even being an Asian woman, I certainly hadn't felt it at that time. So we're thinking, is it a one-off story? Is it not? And it was actually my managing editor, Don Walton, who you know, came to me and said, we should, in passing, we should look at this and explore this subject matter a little bit more in depth given we're getting more and more reports about this. And so what started out as a really short feature on just Chinatown then evolved into this bigger story here and that's how that all started and I mean it really wasn't until I started doing the documentary and going out and speaking to the community and hearing their stories firsthand did I really understand the full scope of it of it it's really interesting because as a journalist everyone expects us to know all the answers to everything we get we get criticized all the time for that when I'm just like everyone else. We're just humans. I don't know everything. I'm in the news and I still don't know everything that happens. How could I possibly, right? When I'm gathering for my stories and I'm doing my research and I'm doing my interviews, that's where I learn the most. You know what I mean? I'm a student of my craft too. And that's when we really fully got the bigger picture of how prevalent this, this issue was, not just in Canada, but also in the United States and other countries in the world as well. So, and I, I have to admit, I was a bit ignorant towards it. I didn't know, I think that Black Lives Matter consumed such a big portion of our lives last year, and, and rightfully so. I, I didn't understand this whole racism against the Asian culture. It just, I'm, I, I'm such a lover, and I love everyone, and I look at us as we're all equal. For sure. That's how I was raised, that's what I truly believe. And so share with us, with our listeners, with me, like what, share with us what this looks like. Like for, for a lot of us that aren't journalists and don't experience it, it, whether we're Asian or not, probably not Asian, because if we are, we're probably more aware of it. You, brought, you bring up a lot of really great points here. You're right. Black Lives Matter was at the forefront, still is, and it should be. But what Black Lives Matter did was I think it really gave courage to other groups facing discrimination and racism too, who maybe were too scared to come forward. This issue is, it's one that you have to unfortunately see to believe. And that's the biggest problem. Because even when you go to the police authorities and you say, hey, this happened to me and I'm not coming down on the police because I understand their jobs are incredibly difficult and I'm not in their shoes to make pass judgment. But one of the things that 
they're going to need is, well, where is the evidence of it? We have to see it happen. A lot of the incidents go unreported because there's no evidence, even though it did happen, right? I think though in this day and age with your phones, people are now understanding that is a powerful tool. So when something happens, and I'm not just talking about the Asian community, I'm talking about any any minority group who is facing this type of attack, you use your phone, you bring it up and you start recording. And so this is, I think this is what's changed in that people are starting to record more of this, whether it's yourself or somebody who's watching, they're starting to record it and now it's being put on social media and now it's being circulated. So now it becomes real, even though it was real before, but now you actually have something tangible that you can see. Evidence. Evidence, exactly. Evidence. And because of that, I think that it is, in addition to the momentum from the Black Lives Matter movement, having this quote-unquote evidence is now empowering people to come forward with their stories and speaking about it. Even though that's why, you know, you sit here and say to me, I had no idea this was happening. That was actually the number one comment we got after our documentary originally aired in October. We had so much feedback and it was wonderful. But the number one thing people said was, I didn't even know that this was happening. So it's like the invisible issue. You know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about? And so now that people are coming forward and talking more about what's going on, it's truly heartbreaking. One of the characters in my story, because I interviewed a number of them, um, his family owns a, a restaurant in Chinatown. And they've been there for a very long time. And there was a fire that started outside of their of their restaurant in the garbage can, like the massive, the mm-hmm. big one. And thankfully, it didn't spread to, you know, their restaurant. But hate comes in various different forms. And that's one of them. And... Um, I remember him saying to me, well, I told my mom, we have to call the police. Mom goes, I I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to bring any more negative attention. There's a real fear. There is a real fear about retaliation or the fallout after speaking up. You don't know if you're going to get attacked again. It's like the abused wife, right? Completely it is, right? And there were many other incidents, and I called to these individuals. Can you can you share a little bit of it? No, we just we just don't want to. We're scared. scared. Very scared. And that's a very palpable thing to feel as I'm sitting there talking to them. So I'm hoping that I'm conveying that emotion well, you know, to your listeners because it is a true thing. And until you've experienced it, you'll never know what that's like because you're being attacked for who you are. There's nothing you can change about that. And when I say this, I speak for anybody who's ever been marginalized. Mm -hmm. To be attacked for who you are as a human and not have any control of who you are and you might be the most wonderful human being in the world, it is a different kind of assault. It is so personal. There's shame that's attached to it. In addition to the fear, there's sadness, there's confusion. There's loneliness. loneliness. There's so many different layers. And it does prevent people from coming forward because as you know when you speak it it becomes more truthful and it's harder to face because now you've actually verbalized it so what do you think that the documentary unveiled i think it unveiled a hidden problem that is not new (laughs) because this is something else that i knew before but i learned to greater depth when we produced this this documentary is 
and specifically speaking about the Asian experience, this is not a new problem. This did not suddenly pop up because of the pandemic. Racism against Asian people, specifically speaking Chinese people, has been a long-standing issue since the 1800s when the railroad was being built in Canada. So we need to look at ourselves, okay? Whenever I bring up and advocate for Asian people and bring up the things that happen to this community, I always, I always dovetail that with, I'm not trying to take away from anything else that's happened to any other minority group because I am a, I am a huge believer of this is us against racism, not mm-hmm. one group against the other group, not one group that says that they've experienced more hardship than the other, right? Mm-hmm. I want to believe that we are together in this and fighting this one big problem. So when you look at the Canadian experience, you look at exclusionary laws. There were laws in place when the railroad was being built and afterwards that prevented Chinese people from being from becoming citizens. So they were okay to be here working under horrific conditions to build the railway to benefit the Canadian people, but they were not allowed to be citizens here and have equal rights. Mm-hmm. Then there was them not being able to bring over their families. You know, so this stems from, we have deep roots, the yellow peril that has been brought up during this pandemic, that Chinese people are diseased people. I mean, this is, this is a term that propped its head a long time ago that reared its ugly head again during this pandemic. So that was the other, I think, piece in this documentary that was so important was not just discussing what was happening right now in real time, but where this came from. It didn't just magically appear somewhere. And I think it's important to talk about that history. During this pandemic, I think the origin of the virus in and itself definitely created fear amongst those who did not understand. But we cannot ignore the rhetoric from powerful people that ignited the flame and gave permission to others to hate. And I'm specifically talking about Donald Trump. When you are using words like Kung flu, China virus, things like that, it is so detrimental. And it's easy for people who are not in this community to turn a blind eye or fluff it off like it's not a big deal. But then if you are on the receiving end of an attack because you're Asian and someone yells out Kung flu or China virus or it came from you, it is incredibly hurtful and incredibly terrifying and very dangerous and that is the other piece to this mess (laughs) as I'm sitting here listening to you I my uh, my heart is sad you know for the Asian culture that that you know they've had you've had to go through this and I think if I could think of something good that has come out of it it would be awareness because I I admit I was ignorant I just didn't even think about it you know I I just didn't. I, I'm, a, you know, I'm the majority, right? And right. so I do. Tr- I am cautious and careful and mindful that racism exists, but it's more of a blanket comment. Of it's course. not necessarily just against Black or Asian or Indigenous. But I didn't even know that Asian, 
um, racism was such a, a like it's really at the forefront now it's really it's really being brought to people's attention so is that would you say I think that that's a positive thing because the more that we're aware mm-hmm. about it the more opportunity we have to evoke change I've always said that change starts with awareness mm-hmm. and that is always my motivation when I produce any story mm-hmm is do people know about it? Is there education around it? Going back to the comments that we got when this piece aired, I had no idea it was happening. It was followed more often than not by what can we do to help? What can I do to help? And honestly, that is so promising because to know that there are people out there, and I think it's the majority, who love. And they really want to create a world where we are all equal, where we are all getting along and we all love each other, I truly believe that it is a majority, even though I'm in an industry where we cover, what, 90% bad news, it's very easy to get cynical about the world. And I will admit that I do a lot, especially during this pandemic. It's really hard for me to get up and go, oh, where's the goodness in the world? Where's the goodness in the world? But then you see it. You do see it. It's there. And it is the majority. But sometimes the majority is silent. Right, because you carry on in your day, you do your thing, you love your neighbor, you're not out there being that loud minority that's causing the problems, right? You know, as a majority, you don't want to be the martyr, you know, you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's been a positive. And I think that because I was recently at an anti-racism rally and it wasn't just to highlight the issues that were happening to Asian people, it was also to highlight the issues that were happening to um, the two Muslim women who were attacked at Princess Island Park. Again, that piece around it's, it's us against racism because so many different groups experience it. It was incredibly empowering to be there because there were a lot of what I'd like to call allies, people who live privileged lives. And when I say privilege, I am not attaching a negative connotation to that. I think that it's wonderful to be privileged. I think it's wonderful to go out and live your life and be the best that you can be and not have to face hardships at others. I would never wish that upon anybody. You know what I mean? But now individuals in those positions have a choice to be allies. And when I say, when I say ally in any way possible, it doesn't mean that you have to go out there, you know, and, you know, with your fist up in the air and rally. If you feel compelled to do that and show solidarity, then thank you. If you, if it just, you know, sparks a conversation between you and your group, your, the people that you hang out with, the people in your inner circle. And your children. And your children. And you just have a conversation about that. Did you guys know this? Let's, let's talk about this. That's enough. That's being an ally. Mm-hmm. It's if you are walking down the street and you happen to see an Asian person get attacked or berated or any other minority group, it's stepping up. And I love when I see that. And I love when people tape that and put it on social media. I love it. It gives me goosebumps when I, when I see that. When somebody stands up and they say, hey, what are you doing? That is wrong. That is being an ally. There was a woman in my story that I interviewed. She was berated and racially, verbally attacked at the beginning of the pandemic while she was at a grocery store. And I mean, until it happens to you, you don't even know how to comprehend it. I think she was in shock. And immediately she went, okay, I can do what we've always done, which is let's just pretend it never happened and continue, or I can stand up for myself. So she took a stance and she stood up for herself. 
this was a very disturbing thing and heartbreaking thing that happened to her. But what was so wonderful was when she then alerted the manager, alerted people around her, pointed out who this man was, people came together. Who is he? Where is he? Okay, what do you need? What can I do? This is not your fault. What what can we do to help you? Do you need an escort to your car? We're sorry this happened. Let's call. And it was just the community coming together. And sometimes I feel like that might be enough in that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't sit there and go, well, you have to do this or you have to do this. It's just if you're aware and you're just having simple conversations or you're standing up or whatever it is that you feel compelled to do because you know that it's wrong, I think that that is really powerful and that is the step in the right direction to writing the ship mm-hmm. on this yeah. issue. Evoke, to evoke change and evoke not change. take a backseat. Exactly. Because yeah. I always, whenever we produce pieces, think, oh, I want this. I want change to happen. I want change to happen. And I'm so impatient. And that's just one of the attributes of being a reporter. <laughs> you know, we're on a tight deadline every single day and we want immediacy. That's how a lot of people consume the news and that's how our days are like. It's go, 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 go. And I don't have patience and I want to see change right away. I've now learned that sometimes it takes patience and time to see the changes happening. And sometimes the changes might not happen in the way that I see it, but it is happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I accept that. Well, and you're in a business that, um, to your point, it reports a lot of negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the media gets, you know, really kind of plastered for that, um, especially in a world right now where it's hard to find positive. I think you have to look for it, where it's easy to walk across the street and see something negative, you know, going on. And so how do you, um, being in that industry, like keep positive and stay <laughs> positive and, and have a you know a positive mindset and not go into that rabbit hole yeah it's hard it's difficult i'm not going to sit here and say that oh i just meditate on it and i'm good the next day (laughs) you do take it home with you and it does seep into your pores and you know it's really difficult sometimes to pull yourself out of that mentality but i will say that you know you have to have thick skin in this industry and you have to understand that it's not you personally. And I think that's a really hard thing to get over because anytime somebody criticizes you to your face or sends you an email or goes on social media, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to internalize that and you're going to think that it's you and it's it's you and you're the issue. I've come to realize that that sometimes isn't it. Mostly it's the other person. It's whatever they're going through in their lives, they're projecting it on you. And I've had to learn that the hard way even prior to the pandemic and the attack on media that we're experiencing right now. Um, Being an anchor really made me vulnerable, completely vulnerable compared to being a journalist because as a journalist, you're on air maybe two minutes and then 30 seconds people see your face. You're a part of the bigger picture here. It's not just you. Being an anchor, you're completely vulnerable for an entire hour on your show sitting there. And you're more visible. So people are going to attack you. And my character was attack. Everything you could imagine. It's been good now. People have been quiet for about a year. So I'm thankful for that. But when I joined the weekend team, it was hor- it was it was really discouraging (laughs) like I am I wish I could sit down with you and have a coffee with you because I swear you would love me you know what I mean but you can't do that that's the thing and people would attack me personally they didn't like my look they didn't like the way I dress 
Um, someone said that I looked like I used my sexuality to get ahead in my career, things like that. You know, just making a joke about Oilers versus Flames because I'm originally from Edmonton. That compelled some viewer to send me a really, really hateful message. You know, um, you, I got married in 2019. Someone decided to attack that and say, we don't want to hear anything about you because you're stupid and you're, you know, things like that. So hate, hate, hate. Yeah. Hateful. And, hateful. And I don't wish that upon anybody. I I, I would, I, I'm one to go, if you can go away unscathed, you know, go through your career and never have to deal with that, I wish that upon you. If you could avoid ever getting hate upon, you know, I wish that. I, I don't ever want to see anybody else go through it. However, I always try to find the lesson. What is the lesson in all this? Because that's the only way to get to the other side. And my lesson is, is that it's not me. It's them. Mm-hmm. They don't know you. And plus, I'm always like, geez, if this, if this tiny little, you know, like anchor... <laughs> And she is tiny to our listeners. Right. She's this petite little thing. I'm just a tiny little thing. <laughs> if I am the thing that makes you so angry, then your life must be really good. Yeah. Because really, how can I have that kind of influence on yeah. you? How can, I, how can I make you so angry? Like, you know, I always say that to myself. So building that thick skin. And I'm going to tell you, it wasn't easy because I got into it with some of them, even though my co-anchor goes, why do you do that? And I'm like, because I want them to know that there's somebody on the other side of this email, okay? <laughs> I want them to know that they just can't say those things and I'm going to stand up I'm for myself. I'm not okay with that. I am not okay with that. But then, you know, you get in, you, then you go into the rabbit hole and that be, gets to a dangerous place, right? Because they suck the energy out of you. And... I had that happen and I was able to overcome and that was that was good. But it built the skin that I needed to be able to face the other challenges in this industry that we have. And it's twofold. One is when you are reporting on the most horrific things that can happen to people, that weighs upon you. It's like being a first responder in a sense that you are going to be talking to people at their worst times. Okay, we're not exactly like the first responders, but we are similar in that sense. And I'm a very empathetic person. I carry that with me. And I will never forget when I was covering the Brentwood Five murders. Mm, I remember that. It was, it was probably the most, like I've covered a lot of really heartbreaking stories, but that was one of the most heartbreaking. I was going to ask you, what was the most, the, the story that most impacted you in your career? And it was that one. It, I, one of them, yeah. I would like to say. And I remember, it's almost like there's a, there's a switch that flips when you're in that mode and you, you know that you have a job to do and you have to report the story and you have to get the facts right and you have a looming deadline and um, there's no time to think. Because I remember after the first day, I was out there for about 12 hours and I came home and my husband was like, are you okay? My boyfriend at the time, he's my husband now, but he was like, are you okay? And I I said, I'm fine. I actually don't feel a thing. I don't feel anything. My horrible, I I don't feel anything. He goes, no, it's okay. And I realize now that during the two weeks I covered the story from the incident to covering the funerals, it was survival mode for me. Right? To be able to be the journalist that I had to be to be able to tell those stories. For the community. For the community. And then things started to unravel, I noticed, in myself towards the end when I was covering the funerals. Because now you are face-to-face with the parents, the loved ones of this 
person who died and they're sharing personal stories now and you envision yourself in their shoes. And I remember having to leave a funeral really early because I, I couldn't handle it. I wasn't quite at my breaking point, but it was getting very emotional for me. After I finished covering that story, I remember driving home to Edmonton to go see my parents. And I was in the car for three hours by myself, just to my thoughts. There was country music on because I like listening to country music when I'm driving on the highway. And then I just started to cry. And it wasn't for anybody in particular. I was just so profoundly sad. And I cried and I cried and I cried for three hours. And I just let it out. And I think that that's good. I think that that's okay. It's healthy. It's very healthy because yeah. I think people look at journalists thinking that we are just these vessels, empty vessels. And we're vultures and we don't care when that is the farthest thing from the truth because some of the most brilliant journalists out there actually care so much mm -hmm. and that's why they're doing such good things. And, um, you know, that was a learning lesson. The experience on the weekend anchoring was a big learning lesson to build thick skin and then we are here we are. So now media is getting attacked with fake news and it's really difficult because now it's not just a personal attack on your character because they hate you or they're having a bad day or whatever or that I'm sad because I'm covering a heartbreaking story. Now it's people actively coming out and attacking. Mm -hmm. it, it is their mission. And I have never seen it like this in Canada in my entire career until now. Mm -hmm. Threats. The day is going to come where you guys will have to answer. Wow. Like that. Um, an incident happened recently with one of our videographers, our video journalist, sorry. Tires slashed. You know, we are called global fascist media, like things like that. I was told to F off as I was just minding my own business in my station vehicle working away. Like it is... It is so, oh, the vitriol is just another level. The hate is another level. And it is really the mistrust in journalism now because of the hate towards the government. Mm -hmm. We are, this is unprecedented times. Yeah. I understand. And because I'm an empathetic person, I also understand where some of this anger is coming from. All I can do is kill him with kindness. Mm -hmm. I am not going to stoop to that level and yell at you back. I, I understand where you're coming from. People have lost their jobs. People have lost loved ones first and foremost. People have lost the ability to connect. Trust me, I'm going crazy too. Mm -hmm. Me coming here today is my outing. <laughs> I put on a pretty, a pretty dress. I put on my heels. I put on my makeup. I did my hair. And you look beautiful. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get, I miss traveling. Yeah. I'm so thankful that my family is healthy. Mm -hmm. That is the priority, of course. But I miss the little things. We're social creatures. Yeah. We're not meant to be caged up. I understand. But there's a reason for all this. But some people only have, they're at their breaking point. Mm -hmm. So I know where that anger is coming from and that frustration is coming from, but also know that it is unfair to target a group of people for just doing their jobs. Well, and everyone needs some, someone to blame. So, and, and unfortunately, uh, you know, the media or the people that work mm -hmm. for the media 
you know, companies are, I think, really getting it because of what they're having to report on. And it's not good. And when you, when we're constantly, society is constantly bombarded with negative news, to your point, this is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. But, but it is the news. As, uh, as a consumer, uh, I, my challenge is not even watching global or CTV. I actually don't, I try to actually not watch a ton of news. But it's I even, don't blame you. Yeah, but it's even just, you know, I, I had to learn early on in the p- pandemic to not look at my news feed every day yeah. from, any, from every outlet, yeah. whether it's, you know, from the East, from the West, CBC, Global, CTV, because there was just so much news in general, whether it's the National Post, whether it's the Star. And I, I got to a point where there was so much information and very polarized, very different information. I, I was just saying to someone, you know, about two months ago, Pfizer came out and condemned Canada for spreading the, um, the vaccinations to that four months apart. They said, no, this isn't what you're supposed to do. A week ago, the, I don't know, I didn't actually look at the source, but it was all over saying that, no, it's actually more effective to spread them out longer. And I'm like, these are two very different point mm-hmm. of views. Like, I think as as consumers, as people who listen and watch and aren't on your end, there's just so much information and you just don't know what to believe in its end, but it's changing so quickly. So what you report on one day and then information or statistics that you're given three months later can be polar opposite. That's not your fault. You're just the girl reporting, <laughs> but you, I could see how people make it about you of course. and make, you're, you're the one that came up with the, the change of news, right? Like you're not, that's how it's perceived. Like, right. because you're telling us it's, you know, your misinformation, but you are just reporting on it. We are. And I, just for the record, uh, and I speak on behalf of myself and the company, <laughs> we're not bought and sold by anybody. Mm-hmm. We don't come in and have meetings with yeah hire people in politics going, <laughs> we are going to report what you, that's, that's not it. That's not, that's not how it works. Not in Canada anyways. <laughs> and I'm glad that you said that because I was just going to say that now. I can't say that about other countries, obviously, yeah. because that, that is a very real thing. But yes, that's the other thing that I have an understanding for is I know how frustrating it can be when so much information is coming at you first of all we are in the age of social media so that's the issue we've never had a pandemic on a global scale in the current world that we live in with the platform that with the platform that we have and i think that nobody could have saw this coming in terms of the other symptoms i guess (laughs) that's a terrible way to (laughs) put it but you know unintended consequences Mm -hmm. that have come out of this because of the different media platforms that we can consume news on having said that i i do believe yes there is fake news out there so in addition to having so many the changing information go out there from so many different outlets on so many different platforms then you're dealing with real fake news and that is a real thing it does exist out there and when people come to me and say well how do you manage that it's a very tough question and i don't have that i don't know How I manage it might be different from the way the next person manages it. I try not to have my entire day be consumed by news. Mm -hmm. I do not go on non-credible sources or platforms. And there's a lot of them out there. This is a problem with social media. There are citizen journalists out there. 
You can be a journalist, technically, quote, unquote, journalist, by virtue of just going out there, getting information, and then putting it on your platform. Mm, a citizen journalist. Yes. I have, yeah, that's it makes sense. I haven't heard of that term yes. before. citizen journalist. However, and I'm not saying that there's not a place for citizen journalists. I'm just saying that as a journalist who went to school for this, as a journalist who works for a massive company, our integrity is the most important and we do our best. We are humans. We do make mistakes, obviously. But when I go in, I do everything I can to report a balanced report and to report the truth of what I know. You know what I mean? That's true journalism. Well, it is because I'm held to a higher account. And that's why they, they coined this mainstream mm. media, MSM. That's the term that that we're, comes from. that describes us. Yeah. And I can't just go out there and say whatever I want to say. I can't speak my mind wholeheartedly because I need to remain unbiased. And I do. Even with the documentary on racism, it is near and dear to my heart, but I'm not going out there going, well, I have an agenda and I'm trying to, you know, make one group look better. That's not it. I'm just going out there to try to tell a balanced story given the circumstances, even with something that is so clearly in other people's minds, very biased because I'm Asian, mm -hmm. right? But others who have their own platforms and can report whatever they want to report, they're not held to the same yeah level of accountability as us. Of course they're not. We don't, we, they don't have the same rules that we follow. And that's the difference, right? Do the bigger media outlets make mistakes? Yes, right? However, we don't go out there and tell a story without confirming facts, without confirming sources, all the checks and balances that you have to put in place that others do not have to do, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's important to distinguish because that's where then you decide where you're going to consume your news. Get your news from, where you're going to go. Exactly. Yeah. Now, again, it's very complicated. I can only speak on behalf of myself and my news organization and all the other credible ones in Canada. I'm not going to talk about any, any other news outlet anywhere else in the world because I do not work there. And it, we go down a very tricky rabbit hole in that sense because, well, what about this? What about, well, I don't know. I can't speak for that. I can only speak for what we're doing here in Canada. Um, not to say that other journalists in, the, in other parts of the world are not doing amazing work. They are. But there's always the exception somewhere if you want to go find of course. it. You know, you always yes. want to dig it up. But we're not going to go there because it, it, it's just, it, you're never going to come to any kind of conclusion at the end of the day, right? So with the other ones, though, outside of the credible journalism, you know, uh, businesses, those are where you have to determine whether or not that's true or that's not right and you you really you have to use your own judgment and you're right about making time to step away from social media oh i think that's so important anyone that i've spoken to that is really you know gone to social media or the news and looks at it every day i i know so many people and they just say i had to take a step back because it's and, and and it's not that it's not true it's just it's so much negativity mm -hmm. and i think that that's a big part of our our mental health and why it is where it is connection the lack of connection the lack of negativity um not just with covid but what has come out of covid and it's just 
it's, I mean, I just feel the, the energy from people. It has just really shifted, you know, especially with our kids. Um, we're going to just kind of, I have a couple of other questions for you sure. that I'm dying to know. How, how did you get into journalism? Oh, how did I get into journalism? Right out of my mom's womb, remember? <laughs> oh, right. That's right, right here today. I forgot. No, um, really... There is no magic wand. It's just good old-fashioned schooling and hard work. I went to Nate, because uh, I'm from Edmonton. Yeah. There's a wonderful broadcasting program there. Um, and it's a two-year diploma, which I decided on because I already have a five-year degree unrelated to journalism that I had already completed at the University of Alberta. I decided to go forward with a diploma because I really just wanted to get in, get the formal schooling, and then get out and start. And I made you know, a promise to myself because I had already done a lot of schooling. I was a lot older than a lot of the students in my class that I was going to make my time there worth it. And so I eventually became editor-in-chief of my school paper. I was already working in the industry before I even graduated. I went out there. I knocked on doors. I interned. I wrote for the Metro newspaper at the very beginning, unpaid, just to learn how to be a reporter. I worked for Omni News in Edmonton for a short stint just doing videography work. I can't say I did the best work, but I put myself out there. It's really just about doing that for really little to no pay, but I was still a student. I said, I don't really care. I just need to get the experience. And then we have a four-month internship unpaid at Nate that you have to do. And so I followed the advice of my teachers and other colleagues in the industry and went to a small market. So I did. So I found myself in Lloydminster. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How I was, romantic. I know. Well, that's actually where I met my husband. <laughs> oh, literally. How romantic. We actually met in Edmonton, but he was teaching in Lloydminster at oh the high gosh. school there. Oh, my so gosh. There's a love story that came out of Lloyd. We call it Lloyd Love. Uh, the other colleagues and I who used to work together, that's what we call it. But I, I did my four-month internship there because I really wanted to sink my teeth in the industry and that's where you do it in a small market because it's such a tiny little station and there's not a lot of people not a lot of staff so you're forced to do everything i anchored the news i was a reporter i shot my own stuff i edited everything i did the weather i did agriculture radio i remember and this is my first time out of edmonton so i was really immersed in the egg <laughs> world <laughs> That's awesome. And I remember this farmer called in and went, I don't think that girl who's doing the radio and talks about agriculture knows what she's talking about. (laughs) I don't. But I'm making it till I make it anyway, right? (laughs) And I never said no to an opportunity. So after I did my four-month internship there, I got hired on right after. And I was hired on as a reporter and an anchor. So I was already doing it. And this is what aspiring journalists really need to understand You can only learn so much out of a textbook. Of course. The rest is really doing Doing it. You have to do it. You have to do it. You have to fail. You have to overcome it. You have to make your mistakes. You have to actually go through all the motions. You have to get better at your voicing. This is not what I sound like, sounded like when I first started. I wish I could, I wish I could show you guys this clip. I, I was, I sound like I'm 15 years old. You know what I mean? But you were. <laughs> but I were. I know. Technically I, I was, right? So it's just about working on your craft, honing your skills and just doing it and doing it and doing it. I was networking one time and I was talking to this news director and he was looking at my stuff and he goes, okay, no, you're doing a good job, but you need to get better. 
And, and I said, well, how do you do that? He goes, do a thousand more stories. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a lot of truth to that. You have to get better by, you're only going to get better by doing it. So after I finished my stint in Lloydminster, I then went to the next market, which was Saskatoon. I loved Saskatoon. I loved it. Made some great friends there. I loved, it was such a little city, but I really, I enjoyed it so much. I was an anchor. I was a reporter and I still did weather. And then that was my first time getting on the morning show. So I was introduced to what the morning show was like. And then from there, I moved to Calgary as a part-time reporter and then moved on, got a full-time job, started anchoring, did the morning show for a year. I did a mat leave and then came back reporting, start really, really loved, um, at that time, really loved entertainment, really loved entertainment. I thought I was going to be an entertainment reporter. So now here I am doing documentaries. So it's just really interesting because I was always open to what I loved and where my career could take me. But I was fortunate enough to be on eTalk. I did some work with them while being based in Calgary. So that was really fulfilling for me. I was on the red carpet doing the Juno Awards. Oh, I, you know, I was in Banff on the red carpet interviewing celebrities. And that was really fun too. And then there was a shift in 2016. I don't know what it was. There was just a big shift and I changed the trajectory of my career. And here I am doing award-winning documentaries. So wow. I know. And and so that's that's how it is. But my biggest advice is don't say no. I put myself in scenarios, in positions that I just did not think that I was ready for, but I did it anyway and I did my best. Because you're not always going to get the training to do your job you just gotta jump two feet in and tread water and hope that you stay afloat sometimes that's just the way that this industry goes because it's very very fast right don't say no to opportunities put yourself out there and this is a really big lesson is you keep at it you just keep at it you know there's that saying the most successful people in the world are not better than those who didn't succeed they just never gave up Mm -hmm. they just kept going and, and that's what I did, and here I am. And I think that the other thing is you need to know why you're in this business because this business is very cutthroat. It is going to eat you alive if you don't have the guts for it and the, and the skin for it, right? You have to know why you're doing this. Why are you doing this? It can't just be because you want to be famous and you want to be on television. That is not going to sustain you through the hardest times in your career. You know what I mean? So you have to know why you're doing this. For me, I it was an evolution in determining why I'm doing this. I think at the beginning, I really just wanted to have fun and show my personality and do that. And that's great too. It evolved to, I want to help people. I see the power of good journalism. I want to do good. I want to bring justice. I want to shed light on something. I want to help change. I want to... Um, We live in a democratic society and journalism is a surefire way of ensuring that that stays that way, especially when you're looking at investigative journalism, right? There's some amazing reporters out there who do such great work to hold governmental bodies, to hold big institutions accountable if there's wrongdoing. And that's that's really, I think, in my mind, the essence and the foundation of really good journalism. Well, Kathy, I, I mean, we've only met for a short time and I, I know that you are evoking change within Calgary Thank and you. within the people around you and within media. And I, I'm so honored that you're here today and you've been just really laid your heart out and uh, I've really gotten to know you. Um, I've learned uh, about journalism and reporting in the news and I think it's really important that we talk about that, especially right now. And especially because the media is really getting hit Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you've had 
personal attacks against you and I'm really sorry for that that you've had to go through that and so again getting your story out is creating awareness mm-hmm. and um, I think that you've really done a, a good job of, of sharing that today now two more questions sure. what do you do in your spare time <laughs> like let's not even talk about media and journalism yeah. for a minute like what do, do I you... have a life outside yeah. of work well you have a family I, I, I'm married yes yeah. yes we don't have any children yet we got yeah. married in 2019 actually yeah. the summer right before everything shut down we had this massive wedding that I swear I almost killed myself over trying to plan because I had a documentary that was in the works and all the extracurricular activities that I do you know involving work I do a lot of MC events too so but yeah we got married in 2019 had a beautiful wedding prior to the pandemic because I really don't have a lot of other things that I'm doing now I'm in the same <laughs> boat as everybody else what did you love to do travel Oh, traveling. My husband and I, we go on a crazy adventure every year. We try to put out, you know, down 16, 21 days where we go and we literally throw a dart and we go and we explore. We've been to Colombia together. We did a four-day trek to the Lost City. We're avid hikers. That's where I am able to ground myself. Mm. Uh, The weather is not the greatest right now, but I do go out as much as I can. I think I went out about 50 times last year to the mountains. So that's where I go if we can't go anywhere else. But outside of that, I love traveling. Again, Colombia. We did Morocco for our honeymoon. So we did a... We hiked. uh, We summited the highest mountain in North Africa. We uh, do a lot of adventurous things. And, um, you know, anytime I can see my girlfriends, we hang out. Obviously, now we're not doing that. But before, you know, so I do the things that everybody else does when I can. I'm very meticulous with my timing and and my schedule. That's how I'm able to pack so much in. Because I think a lot of people think I must work all day, every day, because it's a wheel. If I do a story for the six, you're going to see it on the morning show. And I think people don't make that connection. And why would they, right? They don't yeah, know how the news works. Know. They're yeah. like, oh, she's on the morning show. Does this girl ever sleep? <laughs> That's the number one question I get. What are your hours like? It seems like all you do is work, but no, we, we do only work. We work four 10-hour days. So we only work 40 hours a week. And outside of that, we're free to do yeah. what we want. So I do miss, I miss traveling. I miss hanging out. I miss just, you know, going out for dinner. I miss celebrations, and I really do miss emceeing too. I emcee a lot of events in a year. I love that. It's just another way to flex my skills. It's very different skill to be, you know, being in front of hundreds of people versus being in front of just a camera. But um, yeah, there's just things that I do. No, just you're a normal girl. I'm just a normal. I really am a normal girl, though. And you know, a lot of people that do meet me are like, "You're exactly the way you are on TV as you are, you know, in real life." And and I, to me, I think the whole allure of being on camera and being on television doesn't phase me at yeah. all, actually. And I would like to thank my parents for just raising me to be incredibly grounded because truthfully, it's not. If people come up to me and they're like, oh, I recognize you from TV, the first thing that goes through my mind is, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? <laughs> yeah. Like, should I be running or should I be r- hugging you? Exactly. Right <laughs> Am I doing a good job? Do you like my work? You know, because I truly believe, again, not trying to get back to journalism, but really, we are serving we are of service to the people yeah you are to the community yeah and so I want to make sure that I'm doing a good job right there was a movie that I just watched not too long ago with Tom Hanks and I forget what it's called but it was about basically he went this was like I don't know back in the early 1900s late 1800s and his job was he was basically a news reporter and went from town to town 
to report what was happening. Is this a new movie? A fairly new? Yes. Ooh, okay. I'm into so. I'm on a journalism yes. movie slash okay. documentary. I feel right so, now, so silly, but it just he basically reported the news. Yeah. From town to town on horse and car- horse and carriage. Yeah, 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 yeah. And ended up rescuing this young girl along the way. Oh, okay. And, but it's such a it's such an interesting story. So, anyways, that made me think of you. <laughs> One last question. Okay. Well, two. What have you vowed to yourself in life? Vowed to myself in life. What have you promised to yourself? I made a promise to myself a long time ago that no matter where my life took me and no matter what I did in my career or outside of it, that it would help people. Whatever I did would somehow benefit somebody else and also make me happy. So those are the two things that I live by. Oh, I guess there's three. There's three. Three vows I've made to myself. If it scares me, then I have to do it. Oh, I like that. So you're a bit of a risk taker. I have to be. Especially if I'm like, if I'm telling myself that I'm not doing this because I'm scared, okay, well, now you have to do it. So I've always done that. And I've always tried to bring joy and fulfillment to myself. So am I enjoying the things that I do? Do I love what I do? And that's always been my motivator. I have to be authentic to myself. I'm not going to go do something because somebody tells me I have to do it and I'm going to fake being happy or whatever. I have to love it, which is why I got into journalism. Actually, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. (laughs) Isn't that the Asian way? <laughs> it is, and that's the thing. It's a stereotype, but it's a it true is. stereotype. It is. I so know. I, I, I totally love that you said that because yeah. it is a very true I know thing. It is. And I'm a firstborn. I'm the firstborn oh in my family. Oh girl. So let me tell you really quick. I, I not to like you know go down a different path, but let me just explain. In my family, okay, my 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 siblings are so I'm I'm the, I'm the first of four. Okay? okay, there's four of us. My sister Anita, brilliant engineer brilliant engineer and she's going she's climbing the ladder in the corporate world and she's younger than I am okay she's gonna own her company one day then we have my sister um she is a pharmacist okay and she's gonna kill me that I'm gonna say this but when does this air again Uh, July July okay I'm gonna say it anyway she just recently got into med school okay amazing Right? And then I have my brother who's who's young. He's still in university. He's probably going to be some big wig charter accountant. So this is the standard of my family. And in most Asian families, this is the way. This is the way. Oh, I know it is. I read Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mom. Have you read that book? I haven't, but oh, my mother is a tiger it. mom. Yeah, exactly. I, I know exactly where that term comes from. So, so for me, being the firstborn, it was, okay, for our protege here, she's not only going to be like this competitive figure skater who's going to go to the Olympics because I was a competitive figure skater and I was also a competitive pianist too um, and I taught piano for 10 years like I have a tire mom she is going to be a doctor or in the medical field and I this is a thing I can't explain it to people so unless you know what I'm talking about you will never understand there was this thing inside of me this thing that told me that that's not what you're meant to do you are meant to do this and this is how I got into journalism. Wow. I just applied and I didn't tell my parents and I just did it. And I just, I had nothing but a hope and a dream and hope that it all worked out. You know what I mean? This is, this is what I'm talking about. So that's been, you know, the, the guide of, uh, you know, the rules of my little playbook my entire life is if, if you're scared of it, you got to do it. You have to follow your gut and your heart it has to make you happy. There has to be something that ignites you that that's why you're going to put all this effort and and work into it, right? And the other is, is it going to help people? Are you going to help somebody along the way? 
So those are the rules that I live by, and that's what guides me through this crazy world. Well, you may have not been a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, but you are a damn good journalist. <laughs> Thank and you. And there is no doubt in my mind that your parents could not be more proud of no, you. They are so, now. <laughs> Kathy, no worries there. Last question. Mm-hmm. We love to spot a, cha- a spotlight a charity of choice, and so is there a charity... Uh, that you would like to spotlight today, something that's near and dear to you? Oh, okay. Well, there's so many. I I would like to plug that I am also a Rotarian. Oh, yay, good girl. I I was a Rotarian for years. Oh, nice. Yeah, downtown chapter. Oh, nice. I I actually had breakfast at or lunch at the downtown chapter a couple of years ago. I was a guest of of an individual because I had emceed the Stay in School fundraising. Oh, and I was in the Stay in School program. There you go. I love it. I love it. So I'm actually part of the Heritage Park Rotary Club, and I've, I've been introduced to so many different charities and there's there's so many out there but I guess if there was one that I really wanted to highlight it would be um, Alcove. Okay I haven't heard of Alcove. So Alcove it helps women who are going through their journey of overcoming addiction Mm -hmm. but what's really amazing with this nonprofit is that they allow the mom to be with her children while she's in recovery. I emceed a few of their events to raise money, but also I helped paint one of their units. So they put these women in in accommodations during their their journey of um, of strength and and overcoming their adversity. And so I have an attachment. There's so many, but that's the one that comes to my to my mind right now. And I, I think that yeah, it would be really great to, to continue to support them. Oh, well, Kathy, thank you so much for mentioning Elcove. I have not heard of them, so it's always great to hear about another uh, local organization. Kathy, thank you so much for being here. You have just been a ray of sunshine. You've given us so much to think about, really. I feel like I, when I walk out of this room today, my mind's just going to be going, and I have a long drive, drive ahead of me. We're going for the long weekend, so you've given me a lot to think about. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story, your vulnerability, your journalism. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. today's speaker. We hope that they've inspired you, made you think outside the box, and given you some points that you can apply to your everyday lives. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate us. If there's any suggestions you can make or feedback, we would love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.